Computer, initialize Holosuite. And welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 5, Episode 5, The Assignment. Before we continue, you can find us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and X as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. That is correct, and as I say every single week, you should find us and follow us because we are awesome. I love doing this show, and I hope that those of you who've been listening have enjoyed following along with us as we recap these episodes that are over 30 years old and uh, bringing you some, hopefully, new takes, new insights onto this show that we are, the one David is learning to love and me, that I love so much. Okay, so um, yeah, thanks for joining us, and I do apologize, there has been a bit of a lull in our production here. We've had some issues putting out some episodes lately, um, everything from just technical difficulties to even sickness plaguing us a bit, and obviously family emergencies as well taking us away, but we are back, and barring anything else extreme happening, we will be back regularly okay so uh as david told you all the places you can find us and follow us please do so and if you do tune in on our youtube channel of course leave us a message note any questions comments concerns you may have and uh we may or may not get back to you depends on you know how nice you are so (laughs) now before we (laughs) be forewarned we reserve the right to not talk to anybody who's a jerk so there But before we dive into this episode tonight, uh, as always, want to give ourselves a chance to check in. And since it has been a while, David, how have you been? I'm good. I'm good. So last time we talked, I mentioned I was going to start reading a biography of Napoleon in preparation for the Ridley Scott film coming out for Thanksgiving. Whew, man, it is hard to keep up with this book. There is a lot going on. Not that it's bad, but it's hard to follow battles in written form, it's just hard to like imagine what's happening and see it. So I've enjoyed the book, but there have definitely been times when I've been like, I need to go on YouTube and find someone who can explain these battles that are happening. And it's been good to watch some videos. There's some great stuff out there. I was going to ask you, so you, did you find some, do you find some YouTube videos that do a good job with that? Yes. There, there are some fantastic ones. And, um, they do a fantastic job of just showing the battle lines, who's where, what's what, talking about the ramifications of it. Um, the Napoleonic Wars happened over a period of about 15 years, and Napoleon won over 90% of the battles he was ever in. He was a master strategist. Strategist. And he was just, he was fantastic. I just got done, I think yesterday, with the part where he's going. He went to Russia, you know, the big Russia campaign that was a huge failure, and why that was a failure. So I'm near the end of the book, but I'm trying to read 50 pages a day, and I'm like 75 pages behind what I would have liked to have been at, simply because it's you know work has been busier, which has been good. 
Uh, it's hard to follow some of the stuff, not because the book is badly written. Again, it's just that when you're trying to read about battles, you like want to go watch a video and the videos I've found are like an hour long. And so instead of reading for an hour, I'm watching for an hour, um, which has been fantastic. But during reading of this book, I realized something. And, uh, so I told you last time that once I got done with Napoleon, I was going to move on to the Count of Monte Cristo. But I decided that I'm actually going to pause that and instead read War and Peace. So instead of reading the Count of Monte Cristo next, I'm going to read War and Peace Whoa. next. Whoa. I know. What, the, what bait and switch is this nonsense? I know. I know. But for the simple reason that War and Peace happens chron- like in, in, in – they're both fiction – but this happens before the Count of Monte Cristo. So I didn't know this about War and Peace because I'd never really been interested in War and Peace before. I just knew it was like the longest novel ever written. I mean, it's yeah. a tome. It's 100 pages longer than the Count of Monte Cristo, for example. And the Count of Monte Cristo is already huge as it is. But this yeah. happens, or at least a majority of the plot happens during the Russian invasion of Napoleon's Russian invasion because it's, it's set in Russia. So I was like, well... I like the idea of reading this slightly before reading The Count of Monte Cristo, so I will delay The Count of Monte Cristo just a little bit, or about four weeks, because it'll probably take me four weeks to read all of this, and then I will read The Count of Monte Cristo, because it's so good. I I, I really do want to read it. I mean, if if, if you were asking me what what am I excited for, I'm excited for The Count of Monte Cristo. War and I mean, Peace, I'm like, okay, all right. It's just like, it's the next book that I think makes sense and what I'm reading, but I'm looking forward to Count of Monte Cristo. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I was actually thinking about breaking mine out and reading along with you because it's been a minute oh, since yeah. I've read it. And yeah. it's such a great story. I've always enjoyed that story. Oh, it's so um, good. You know, we talked about this before. I had read it during the pandemic, during our lockdown, and it was great. And I mean, it was just like... It's it's that classic like you like you you know when you read something when you're young like the last time, the first time I read the Count of Monte Cristo I think I was thirteen to fourteen years old and right. then you know I've gone back and read excerpts and there's movies and whatever else that have come out the intervening years of course you know and right. then during the pandemic was the first time that I sat down and just you know had my book and was going to read my book again right and and reading it it was just it just seemed almost like a completely different book. Like I have, yeah. I feel like I have a pretty fantastic memory, mm-hmm. but reading something at, you know, 13 versus reading something at 34 is, right. is different. Yeah. And, um, I, I've wanted to read it again. And so you were kind of giving me an excuse to read it again. <laughs> Not to mention that we've got all, you know, the great books in the Expanse series that we're yes. working our way through as well. So right. you're kind of all over the place with, you know, your your history reading and then your jump to the super far future reading and everything else. <laughs> and I yeah. did want to say also, since you are you were saying you were on YouTube when you were watching these video breakdowns of Napoleon's stuff, it's like you got to be one of very few people who like does the internet right, like uses the internet right. Like I get on YouTube and I fall down a well of oh. of stupid animal videos and oh, I, uh, dude, weird. I, I watch cat videos. Don't get me you wrong. know they're the best. Or, um, what was the one that I'm stuck on right now is this guy who goes around and he drains like abscesses on 
cow hooves and stuff. Oh, I've seen. I, stuff I, I don't that. know. Yeah, I don't know what his name is, but he's like he's like this Irish dude that yes. goes around it and does it. I think and, I know uh, exactly who you're talking about. I've watched. I've watched so like many that. of them. Yeah, so many of them. I find them utterly fa- <laughs> pun intended. I guess utterly fascinating. <laughs> and um, um, I've watched a bunch of. Those. Never occurred to me. Hey, you know what? You could watch a total, you know, breakdown of the Napoleonic Wars. Yes. No, doesn't happen that way. Yeah. Um, or the endless Trek clip shows and whatever else that I have caught in right. the intervening whatevers. Right. So yeah, um, congratulations, David. You are doing the internet <laughs> right. So thought I'd give well, you that little you. shout thank out. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, but yeah, uh, so. Nemesis Games, you are in it. You're about halfway. I'm in it. I'm about halfway. Uh, A little snafu is going to delay me a little bit um, to get back into reading it. But uh, um, I will go and get my copy and resume reading it again. And, you know, I realized when I was looking for my my, fifth book, I only bought up to the fifth book. So I was, cause I was like, where's my, and then, so I went to where I, where I keep all my books and stuff. And yeah, this one through four is lined up there and I don't have the other ones. And I was like, why don't I have the other ones of these already? And I remember thinking when I bought the first five, how I said, just in case I don't like them. Right. But it's like, but you're going to buy five of them in case you don't like them and you're not going to finish the series. Whatever. That was my justification for not buying them all. Right. Now, here we are in the fifth book, going to finish the fifth book probably pretty soon. And then I'm going to be like, now I've got to find the sixth through the ninth, right? Yeah. And then actually yeah. there's the sixth through the ninth, and then there's like the one that's like a short story um, collection. Short story, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Yep. Now, for you um, uh, Expanse fans, you should also know that if you're a fan of those Telltale games, Telltale games, you should be aware that there are two games based on The Expanse that are getting ready to come out. One is titled just The Expanse, and it is, um, if you're familiar with Telltale games at all, they are kind of these episodic games where you make, you have the ability to make certain decisions within the game to kind of tell a story yourself, and the first game, again, is just called The Expanse, and you get to play as the character uh, Kamina Drummer, and you will be able to work through um, her character arc and it's supposed to take place shortly after she decides to leave service of the OPA and mm. become she's like a uh, she or she leaves Fred Johnson's service on Medina Station and she's out with her own ship and crew and, and doing things so right. that's the character that's the character arc you get to portray then and then the next one that is getting ready to come out, and I believe this one comes out right around Thanksgiving, is where you get to play as Christian Abisarala. And mm. you um and that story is that she is uh, it's shortly after the attack on Earth, and she's trapped underground with some of the members of the ruling party whomever they are and while they're while they're trying to figure out what's going on and and move through the the disaster of the attack and everything else there are people who are also trying to outmaneuver her and take power away from her and you have to not only figure out how to respond to the the attack but also how to keep your seat keep your power So, so and the real question that needs to be answered who is going to be voice acting the character. Well, 
of it's Sheree. It's Sheree uh, Agdashlu. I was going to say course. it'll be a betrayal of all kinds. If, it would. If it, it would be. It would be absolutely. There'd be no point in doing the game if Good. she wasn't voicing it. Okay. Um, in fact, I found out that the, about the game because, as you know, I'm pretty much following her on everything ever, and uh, she posted the announcement on uh, Facebook that she was back as uh, Christian. And it's a little bit of a tease because she said she was back as Christian, and I was like, you know, mm-hmm. oh my God, the show's back. And then it was, no, it's for this game, and she's doing the voice. Now, you should know that uh, Sheree Agdashlu is an incredible voice actress, as well as just being an incredible actress. Um, she has right. lent her voice to so many different um, animated things, TV shows, games, all kinds of stuff. If you played the Mass Effect series, you heard Sheree. If you played um, that game um, Arcane, which was then turned into a TV show, you got Sheree twice because she's in both the game and the TV show. Well, if you played you Assassin's, play. yeah, mm-hmm. if you played Assassin's Creed, she was in that. She has she does so much voice work because she has such a very incredible, distinct uh, voice, and then she's just a she's a great actress. So just a lot of Sheree, and there's just there's nothing wrong with that at all. So. Go check it out. You, If you have a Steam subscription or anything like that, you can find the games there. And again, they're coming out. Uh, the Christian Amsterdam game is supposed to be coming out on Thanksgiving. And then the Kamina Drummer game, I believe, is coming out in December. So uh, just be on the lookout for both of those if you're interested. So, Gotcha. But, but we're not here to talk about all of those things. We are here to talk about... Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, we do try to weave a bunch of stuff in, of course, but that is the core reason that you all have gathered here to listen to our dulcet tones, right? <laughs> so for this episode, the assignment, I'll go ahead and give us our recap so we can dive right in. Now, keep in mind, we're just going to be hitting the high points, the salient details, so that we can break down this in greater uh, detail for you throughout this. If you want to know the full ins and outs of what happened, please go watch the show and come back and join us. I mean, obviously, we're doing this live, so you won't be able to have our same uh, really witty repartee live, but you can still join in uh, whenever you do finish the episode. You can watch this episode and all Trek episodes on Paramount+. Plus. So go check that out. Come back and see us. So now this episode being the 103rd episode uh, of of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, we are focusing on the O'Briens, the other family that we have on the station here. Um, And this episode starts with Chief O'Brien, and he's upset about having killed Keiko's plants. Yep. Basically, we know that Keiko has been gone for a few days. I think it's it's like five days. She's been gone to Bajor, and uh, he was supposed to be taking care of these plants for her. Didn't do a great job of of it. Now he's worried that she's going to be upset coming back to the station. He goes to greet her at the... um, at one of the, you know... Docking bays. Docking bays, yes. And he presents her with her favorite chocolates that she just proceeds to munch away on while he totally throws Julian under the bus for the death of the plants. And she's like, ah, you know, they're plants, no big deal. And he's like, that's right, that's great. He's so glad that his wife seems to be so progressive in this acceptance of the death of these plants that she's, according to him, taking care of for months, even years. Um, that's when Keiko tells him that she's not really Keiko, 
that uh, she is a being that has possessed his wife's body, and unless he does exactly what she says, she'll kill his wife. So, of course, he thinks she's joking. He thinks that, you know, she's got some kind of weird brain fever until her heart stops and she basically dies right in front of him. And before he can alert anyone, she pops back up and she's like, nope, you tell anybody and I'll stop her heart forever. Your wife will die. So now he still, he recognizes that she's serious, but he's still not 100% sure. But he starts to go along with this plan. She gives him a test on some equipment. She wants him to rewire, recircuit, whatever it is, you know, engineer his way through. And um, then she finally sets him to task. He's got 13 hours to realign all of the communications relays and certain sensor relays um, on the station. While all this is going on, it's also the chief's birthday, and, um, you know, he's got his daughter to consider, and basically Keiko makes it to where he can't warn anybody, for if he does, again, Keiko will, the real Keiko will die. So he does try to figure out a couple of ways that he can circumvent her control over him. None of these work, even to the point where, at, at one point where he thought he had a free moment where he could warn somebody, the entity inhabiting Keiko's body throws her over the uh, ledge on the promenade and right. almost kills her. Right. So now he really decides to set to work. He's realizing that the job that she's given him, he won't be able to finish on his own. He enlists the help of Rom, which I guess Rom is kind of our B story in this, because Rom, as we know, has quit working at the bar and is now a part of the maintenance crew on the station. And so Rom now being a part of the maintenance crew, um, uh, no one really interacts with Rom very much, which allows Rom to get his work done exceedingly quickly. So the chief takes Rom under his wing or into his confidence and gets him to do some of the work for him. Eventually, though, Dax catches on to some of the changes that are being made on the station, and they realize that there's a saboteur on board, which is obviously O'Brien. They set about trying to investigate who is doing what. Uh, O'Brien basically uses Rom as a scapegoat and kind of to point them in the wrong direction, more like a, a red herring, I guess. Points them in the wrong direction so that they will focus on Rom while he actually tries to get the work finished. Um, Rom is arrested. They throw him in a holding cell. Odo tries to interrogate him. He doesn't crack. O'Brien comes down at the behest of Rom and Cisco and Odo to answer Rom's questions. And that's when Rom basically points out that they're turning the station into a giant chroniton beam, which would kill the uh, prophets or the wormhole aliens who live in the Celestial Temple, also known as the wormhole. Right. Um, this is when O'Brien becomes aware of that, like that, what this entity may truly be. Um, we've gotten some other clues along the way, like at the birthday party, there was a mention of Paul Race, and so now we f- we hear the whole story from Rom via his knowledge from Lita, who's his Bajoran girlfriend. So this is where we find out that the prophets, there were two groups of them. And the first group, or not the first group, but I guess the whole the group ones. of them end up, right, splitting. And the bad ones, who were called the false prophets, were kicked out of the Celestial Temple and encased in crystalline jail cells, basically, in these caves on Bajor. And they have forever kind of held this, you know, grudge against the prophets for doing this, and they became known as the Paul Race. And 
That's what is inhabiting Keiko, one of these parais who just escaped when Keiko was down on the planet for those five days, has inhabited her body, and now she is trying to get her revenge on the prophets that are still in the Celestial Temple. Right. They take a runabout, they go to the opening of the wormhole, they set off the uh, series of changes that they did on the station, which turned the station into this chronotom beam. But instead of the beam going directly into the wormhole, O'Brien has changed the coordinates so that it hits the shuttle that they're on, which basically electrocutes Keiko and kills the power race inside of her, freeing her. Right. Um, they return to the station to which they eventually, you know, clear up matters and, um, you know, everybody goes home. Everybody yep. is happy. Keiko is the free, is not saved. dead. And yes. Yep. That's it. So that's you're essentially much... it. There is more, but we're going to get into that. Yeah. You're, you're very good with being succinct and getting to the point for sure. Yes. <laughs> trying to, trying to be, you know, so yeah. now we can have our remaining, what, 40 minutes to actually talk about <laughs> all of these points. And there's a, there's a lot here that we want to get into, yeah. but of course I want to ask you as always, as it's the first time you've watched the episode, what did you think? Yeah, I like this one. Uh, it's, it's an episode where finally, um, Keiko and who's the actress who plays Keiko. I know we've mentioned her many times. Uh, Rosalind Chow. There we go. Rosalind Chow probably has more screen time in this episode than she's ever gotten in an episode before. Uh, even on TNG, I would say she is allowed to, I mean, she's the antagonist in this episode. Uh, she's never been an antagonist like this before. Uh, so she gets a lot of time to work and she's not playing just Keiko. She's playing this possessed version of Keiko. And so she's very Evil manipulative. Yeah. Um, I, I, your wife knows you and I know everything your wife knows. Uh, she does a great job of being, you know, like that sickly sweet, you know, she's sweet, but it's all just poisonous. You know, it's not, it's not true sweetness. You know, it's just all that. Bleh. Um, so she's great. And the whole time I'm, I'm with O'Brien. I'm like, how do I, how do I get around this? How do I, I wouldn't take, I wouldn't, no one would bully me around. I would tell the wormhole alien to get bit, you know, like I wouldn't take it. Um, but you know, O'Brien, he, he, he's, he's loyal to his wife. He's kind of a simple guy sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't even realize what's happening as you, as you said, until Rom points it out that they're turning the station into a giant beam. Uh, and that means that's when O'Brien realizes how to solve the problem and solves it, uh, in the nick of time to save Keiko. So it's, it's a fun episode. You're it's, it's always fun to watch a character in, in episodes like this, you know, in, in an, an episodic show like this, you get to know your cast of characters. And then when one of them has to go rogue, that means it's, it's, it's fun. Cause you, you trust all the other characters. You don't want them to be, you know, betrayed. Uh, and you want your character, the one that you're following to like get away with not being in trouble. You don't want them to, be harmed somehow. Uh, so like the, the moment when Odo confronts O'Brien and O'Brien's making the final touches and Odo's basically interrogating him in that casual way. And then he has to punch Odo out. Cause again, Odo's now a humanoid and so he can be punched out, which is a great point. And that wouldn't have happened before. So this is a great moment for us to use that feature of Odo's new person, new body. You know, he wouldn't be knocked out before. Um, so yeah, yeah, I like this episode. I, it was, uh, it was fun. It was, uh, different. It, it still keeps the wormhole in mind. Uh, it gives us more about, you know, the wormhole aliens in particular. So yeah, it's a good one. 
you know, that's part of it in particular that I really enjoyed was just diving a little bit more into the mythos that is the prophets. I mean, that's kind of where, I mean, not even kind of, that is where our show started all the way back in season one in the pilot and how important and influential the prophets were. And we haven't really seen a whole lot dealing with them um, and how it kind of directly influences things in the Deep Space Nine verse not yet we're getting there a lot of the stuff is building upon itself but i mean if you think about it every instance so far that we've dealt with the prophets has always been these kind of tangential stories like when the prophets changed the grand nagus and made him this you know humanitarian basically for lack of another term (laughs) or when they um had that one guy come back from the past, past and yep. he was advocating that they return to their caste society system, that Bajorans return to their caste society system, you know, uh, things like that. And now we have this episode where we're not so much dealing with the prophets as we know them, but we're hearing about this falling out they had with the sect, with with another group of them. You know, we're finding yeah. out, you know, not all, not all the prophets were, were good guys, were these benevolent um, beings that the Bajorans have always worshipped, you know, there were this this other group that clearly had a more, I guess, malevolent bent to them, and right. we don't exactly know what they were doing to be called false prophets, but clearly it was something not in line with what the majority of the group had decided was the correct path, and they right. were cast out and imprisoned on Bajor. Now, I mean, you could say whatever you want about imprisoning your enemies on the planet of the people that you're trying to bring out of, you know, the Stone Age or whatever it is, but right. hey, you know, that that was their mythos and apparently it was it was correct. Yeah. So, um and this also kind of lets us see that the there's more to the prophets than just being these, you know, omnipotent uh god beings. You know, they're not um, how do I want to say it? Not, not gods in the way that I guess we would think of gods. I mean, they're they're clearly an, a highly advanced alien race. Right. They exist on a whole other level and conception than than we do. But there are some aspects of them that are, um, I guess somewhat relatable here. So. Right. You know, Rom tells this story about how they were cast out and that there is this, you know, this thing, Costa Moran, which talks about their banishment. And so they've kind of just been holding a grudge ever since. And now they've, you know, now that one has escaped, the first thing they want to do is go right back there. They want to go back to this place they were banished from and uh, and take it over. And that's what Keiko's whole mission is. So, you know, right. a bit a bit one-dimensional though for a being who i mean as we can see can possess the body of a of a human person obviously wields some great greater power you know it seems like it's a it's a waste that the first thing you want to do is go back and exact revenge i mean you're free for the first time in however many countless centuries that you've been holed up in the fire caves why not just go somewhere else and and do your own thing. You're free. Yeah, why is like, this what you choose to do? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, and uh, I'm glad you mentioned it. Yes, 
the fire caves. This is the second mention of fire caves in the whole show so far. The whole I'm, show. I'm finally like inching toward maybe what we uh, named our show after. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're in the but, middle of season well, five, and I still don't know why we chose the fire caves. Still doesn't <laughs> know why title. we're calling the fire caves. <laughs> well, we're getting there. The Very fire good. caves is where all the bad stuff happens, so naturally yeah. we name a show after it. We like so, naming the show Mordor, <laughs> a, lo- a, a Lord of the Rings show. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but anyway, um, yeah, I, I mean, I almost don't have much to say about this episode because like, I like it, but it's also pretty simple. If that it is. Sense. It's it is very simple. Um, and I was gonna say, you know, now let's get into some of the you know the critiques because there are a couple of things here in this show that really bother me, and it's um, in this episode in particular. In this episode, yes, okay. in this episode that bothered me, and this is and it's all about the storytelling because. And this is, I think this is Trek's great failing. They don't account for technology well. They have <laughs> all of this great technology around them, right? All this stuff that right. can do just damn near miraculous things. Yes. And yet, they can't do something as simple as send a text message. Yeah. Like, how simple would this problem have been solved if the chief had had the ability to send a text message to yes. Cisco and alert him that something yes. was going on with his wife. Yeah, he might not point. have been able to explain all the way, but he could have got the wheels going. Send a, they don't have group texting. The senior well, staff isn't in a text chain together well, and can send a message. Let's pause a moment. Cause, so I saw this episode a week ago. I haven't, like, usually I watched the episode before we record. You were sick last week, so I didn't, we didn't record it right away. So they do use their comm badges to talk to each other regularly. Mm-hmm. And remind me why Keiko kept him from doing that. She like, only stops him the one time when they first meet when they when she when he meets her in the docking ring, and she stops Keiko's heart when the being stops Keiko's heart. He right. goes to tap his combat, presumably to call for Doctor Bashir or some medical assistance, but right. she pops back up before he can hit it. She she grabs his hand. And she tells him, right. "You tell anybody, and I'll stop her heart forever." But the thing is, as you watch the episode, she's not with him 100% of the time. And right. he uses his comm badge multiple times throughout the episode. And she, right. as far as we can tell, isn't aware. Now, right. an argument could be made that maybe she is using it to keep tabs on him. There's nothing to say that she couldn't do that. Because right. in the one scene right before she throws herself off of the balcony... He does use his combat to find out where Cisco is, and right. and and um and you know the, the, you know he taps it and asks where Commander Cis or Captain Cisco is. It tells him that he's in the security office with Constable Odo, right. and so that's when Odo when O'Brien makes a beeline for um the promenade to go to the office, and yeah. as he approaches the promenade and walks under the bridge, she calls his name and then throws herself off of it. So it's possible. That she was keeping tabs on him through his combat. She heard him ask for the location of Cisco, and then she just tracked him. And as yeah. soon as he got too close, she was waiting for him, and right. boom, there you okay. go. That could be. But see, the thing is, it's never explained. Yeah. That's never shown. And right. there were plenty of times where, again, like there's one scene where he's using his combat to ask how quickly he could render her unconscious. Right. And, um, he's you know, why did the next room? 
Well, no, no, he does it. He does it. He's in one of the the crawl spaces in one of the Jeffries tubes. Oh, that's right. And so he's oh, alone. Right. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. There's he's another in the scene where he's in like the living room, and she just went to when the bathroom. He, it was shortly the after the. It was at the end of the party, and they had been talking about Paul Race. Jake had Jake and Odo had brought up Paul that's Race to him. That's what it was. That's and right. so he was asking the computer to give him information about the Paul Race. But yeah, Keiko was in the very next room. Yeah. So it's not subtle. It's not yeah. quiet, you yeah. know. But all these times he was using the combat and it never occurred to him when he was away from her to, you know, tap the combat and be like, hey, I don't have a whole lot of time. Here's what's going on. I need help. And have Dax and and, and uh, Cisco and everybody else working on a plan while he's continuing to carry out the modifications, yeah. you know. No reason. And then, you know, they've got the pads that they're passing around with instructions and detailed maps of the station and everything else on. None of those is networked. Right. You don't you don't get any Wi-Fi signal down there in Jeffrey's tubes, O'Brien. You can't send a quick message on your tablet to let everybody know, hey, here's what's up. Yeah. And then when he enlists the help of Rom to help him out with this whole situation, why didn't he tell Rom what was going on and then direct Rom to go and tell Cisco? She's watching you. She's not watching anyone else on your staff. You had a person who you explained how this was a hush-hush, top-secret mission, right? You could have taken that time right then. The same amount of time it took you to convince him to come into your confidence, you could have said, I need you to deliver a message to Captain Cisco and Odo and Dax and all the rest of them and tell them this is what's going on. Right. Problem solved. <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't do that at all. Right. So now I, I understand again this was, you know, they were trying to tell a particular story. Also, it was the nineties, and for some reason, they just didn't take I just feel like they don't take technology into account for a lot on right. these shows. You know? And so for the sake of the story that they wanted to tell, we had to pretend like all of these things don't exist. I mean, we, we had text messaging in the 90s. It was very rudimentary, and you had to push a button, you know, six or seven times to get the right letter that you wanted. Right. You know, but uh, it existed. It was there. Yeah. He could have done it. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And I guess while I was watching, I didn't think about that. So I was, it wasn't, it didn't take me out of it. Would you say that ever since you've seen this episode, it, you thought about it, and so it takes you out of it watching this episode? No, it's one. It's one of those that it's like I still, I still think this is a great episode. I love the story that they tell because it, it does, it gives us more um, Keiko, which is more than we've seen of her, her utilization of that character. We get to see um, a more social dynamic on the station, which I love because we get to see the party. Um, mm-hmm. We get to see, um, we get to hear more about the prophets. And as a person who's, you know, who knows what's coming soon, I like seeing that overall lore develop because all of this stuff is very important. We're this right. is not going away. This is this is we're going to see more of this. My gotcha. spoiler: we're going to see more. <laughs> so I like all of those things. But as a person again who has seen this a lot, when I'm doing like a casual rewatch, these are the nitpicky things that I I like to pick apart about the episode. Like um, another thing I thought of when I was watching it too was. When he taps his comm badge and asks where Cisco is and decides to walk there, it's like, <laughs> why? Why did you decide to walk there? Yeah. Initiate a site-to-site transport. Beam yourself directly into the office. She can't yeah. see you. Yeah. She can't see you. Yeah, it would have been... 
if they had just done some simple scene where they show her, I mean, if she has knowledge about Keiko that she, if she's a being that has knowledge that she shouldn't have, it would seem reasonable. They could have, they could have hand waved it of she has done something to his com badge. Give me your com badge. And she does something to it. And now it'll notify her. If something right. happens, but it, yeah, anything simple, like, you know, just, they could have done something on the minds that like, they, they kind of build it in there. You know, you know, your wife, but your wife knows you better. So right. your wife knows that you would be thinking of all these clever little things and your wife knows how talented of an engineer you are. You underestimate yourself. Your wife doesn't. Hmm. So, you know, just anything along those lines would be like, okay, so because of this, um, I don't know. Yeah. We're going to set up a proximity or whatever. If you go within a certain whatever of these people, right? It will alert. It will alert me. It will. It will do this, and then and then you will come back to find your wife dead. Something along those lines, like just anything to kind of give us a reason for why he does not do anything to alert these people until right. it's too late. Right. Um. It's kind of, it's just one of those, I guess they just feel like people don't pay attention. And I feel like if they were to do this show today, I do feel like somebody would have addressed that. Because I I feel like today's shows, especially the ones that are a bit more sci-fi bent or whatever, they do a better job of kind of taking care of those little um, hanging bits on on plot points, you know, to snip those off. You know, The Expanse... Uh, you know, we we watched that show, and I think the Expanse is really good about that. Like, we didn't necessarily always have them say the dialogue that they did that thing, but you would see the characters do certain things in the background, and then later on, when something was stopped or an advance warning was set or whatever it was, they'd be like, "Oh, because I did that," and we would see where that came into play. You know, right. they were good about doing things like that now, but they certainly didn't do that in shows like this, and it's probably like the learning curve from shows like Deep Space Nine as to why shows today do it better. So I do like being able to see that as well. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. So now this episode also is one where we see Odo get incapacitated for the first time. Um, You know, Odo has now become um, a solid. So... While his investigative uh, prowess has in no way been diminished, he clearly still underestimates the fact that um, he has a a, a rigid body and right. is susceptible to damage. Yeah. So he had no problem getting real close to the chief, yeah. who then knocked him out. Or right. yeah, yeah, knocks him out really. So I guess Odo's got a glass jaw because he <laughs> t- only took one punch and he was yeah. down. Yeah, it's funny to think how many times have has someone been cornered by Odo when he was in his changeling form, and that was one way he got people to basically quote unquote confess. He would confront them in a way where they were put in a pressure situation, and then he knew they were guilty, and they lashed out, and that's how he got permission yeah. to arrest them. Basically, ah, oh, this person attacked me, and then used. And yeah, that they to- lashed out and just just hit a you know a solid wall of goo. <laughs> Nothing happened to him, but now he's got all the evidence he needs. Now, yeah. you know, O'Brien's That's able to get the drop on him. Anymore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> got the drop on him and clocked him in the jaw and took him down. Yeah. So. Yeah. But um, 
the real character who gets a lot of actual character growth here is Rom. Rom was a great character in this episode. Rom annoyed the hell out of me in this episode. Oh, he did. I mean, I, yes. I, I mean, he's supposed to, but uh, he does a great say... job. Fantastic job. <laughs> uh, if I had to listen to him say "Rock to Gino" one, one more, more time, time, oh yeah. my god! I like "Rock to Gino's." No, he didn't just I say it. It was. Oh, is that what we, we drink on the day shift? The swing shift? Ructigenos? And he would say yeah, it like right. that every time. Ructigenos? For right. shut up! You, you watched just... this show so many times, you know exactly how <laughs> yes. to do that. That's how, that's how he talks, yes. <laughs> is that the drink of choice on the swing shift? Ructigenos? Oh, we don't really drink anything on the third shift. Dude, you've got it down. You've got it down right now. Oh my gosh. I can't stand it. It bothered me so much. But yeah. that's that's his and you know, it's it's his whole speech pattern. I don't right. like it. You know, and then when he comes in at the end and he's and asking for breakfast, I would like a short stack of pancakes dripping with syrup. I was like, Oh Who told you to talk this way? It is annoying. And pineapple. Ugh. Yeah. God. I think it's part of his cute little freaky charm as he's no, trying to try other so annoying. I mean, I it, it, that is what I will give you that. I will give you that when he after he placed that breakfast order and and I sat there and I listened to it. I was like, you know what? I feel like I've been eating wrong, you know, because it never occurred to me to put pineapple on pancakes. Mm, you know, this is like what a combination. And now it's like you know. And it just, and I know it sounds stupid, it's simple, it's pancakes with pineapple or whatever, but it's like, you know, it, we're kind of programmed as to what would be like acceptable breakfast foods or whatever, right. but there's nothing to say, you can't, you know, throw yeah. all kinds of stuff in there to make any meal, not just breakfast, <clears throat> but anything, and yeah. I just don't do it. I'm, I'm going to take, um, take a quick side note and say there's a Brazilian steakhouse restaurant that opened up near me recently. And like the dessert, a Brazilian steakhouse is one of those places where they walk the food around. Like, you, how, do you want a piece of steak? Do you want a piece of shrimp, chicken? It's on the, it's on the like on the skewer. Spot, yeah, yeah, and they give it to you. Well, they come around with the skewer of roasted cinnamon. Uh, uh, it's got cinnamon on it, but roasted pineapple. Oh my gosh, it was so good. I just you were talking about pineapple because that's what Rom says, and when Rom said it, and when you said it, I was like, oh man, it was so good. I love pineapple. Yeah. I love pineapple. I had some pineapple I, juice today, yeah. and it was you know it was a store bought juice, and um, I was at my uh, my sister's bar, and they had a some kind of event, and so for some reason there was pineapple juice there, and it was ice cold, and it was delicious, and I and again I was like. I don't buy pineapple juice, but I'm gonna, because mm. it tasted so great, and I was like, "This yeah. is wonderful." And it just that's <laughs> twice today that I've had something. I'm like, you know what? I have to reconsider how I do food because it's just like there are so many things that I just don't eat or drink or whatever, and I have no right. reason for why I don't. And then when right. I do have them, I enjoy them so much. I love pineapple. Do I eat it all the time? Absolutely not. Don't know why. But every time I have it, I'm like, you know what? This is pineapple may be my favorite fruit, and I'm just always in surprise of how great it is. Well, I know, imagine I don't it's simply it. because pineapple is a little harder to prepare than other fruits. Quite frankly, that's that's probably what it is. It's just a, a harder fruit to prepare yeah. than others. Just on a purely maybe on a purely get it prepare it level, 
that's it. Boom. Bananas, that's apples. I mean, you don't have to do a damn thing. Yeah, you know, blueberries, you know, quick wash, and you got a whole handful of them, and they're exactly. gone. You know? But maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's why I don't get pineapple that often, because it um, it, it takes more to yes. get to it. Yes. You know, but I'm, seriously, every time I have it, and when I have it on other things, I enjoy it. Like, uh, my grandfather used to make a great pineapple upside down cake. Loved it. But, right. I mean, I don't even eat that cake. I don't make it. I don't know anybody who makes it. Right. Um, I certainly don't buy it, but yeah. 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 Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting too, I'm getting I, too got... old to be having food issues, and and it's <laughs> and it's not like it's not food allergies. It's just realizing I don't eat any of these things, and right. I have no reason. I'm like, right. I mean, yeah, obviously, I don't want to like you know gain a bajillion pounds or or whatever, you know. Right. But I mean, it's fruit, man. Yeah. There's no reason I can't have pineapple. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so now, like, flash forward, like, six weeks, and we're going to do this show, and I'm going to have, like, six chins, because all I've done is gone around and eaten all the things that, for some reason, I was, like, denying myself. Yeah. Like, yeah what, what happened to you? Um, Star Trek. I'll, I'll, I'll do a quick tangent again. <laughs> my my mom, Costco, she bought some bread at Costco because it was fresh. And, you know, when you buy bread from Costco, you get 12 little loaves. And she was like, you want three? <laughs> <laughs> they're a little delicious, but you got to eat them quick because bread, you know, it kind of goes bad a little quickly. Uh, yeah. So, and then my roommate, he saw that I got some, so he got more. And I was like, you're just, you're just, I mean, bread is just unprocessed fat. That's all it is. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's all the, it's all the carbs and yeah. then they just sit on you forever. That's and right. And it's just, yeah. I used to have a bread maker and man, I would make, <laughs> I would make bread twice a week. You know, yeah. just no problem at all. Mm. Just whole loaves, and I would yeah. make it, and just be like, and then you can add all your own flavors and seasonings mm. and whatever else yeah. to them. And there is nothing, and you're you're absolutely right. There is nothing that beats hot, fresh bread. Nothing beats it. I don't care what you do. I mean, you can be having the worst day, and someone brings you fresh from the oven bread. <sighs> It's and it, it 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 tastes completely different from bread. Even if the bread is fresh, it was made like yesterday. Yeah. Eating it today, it's still mm-hmm. good. But there is just something about it. It just came out of yes. the oven. You're yes. getting that first that first <sighs> slice when it's finally reached the temperature where you can slice it. Oh, yeah, man. Perry, you can't talk like that, it. man. You can't. I'm just I, I'm you just can't. saying. That's oh. why I was. That's why I was making bread. Twice, sometimes three times a week. It's you also probably why, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's also why I probably ballooned, you know, a good 50, 50 pounds when I had yeah. that thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but yeah, there's no, nothing beats it. Nothing beats yeah. it. And um, and it would make all you could just all of it. It was it was so great. Everything was contained. You just put all your ingredients in the basin and turned it on, and it would mix everything. And it would you could set it so that it would proof the bread and let the bread rise. If you had like a yeasty bread you were making or whatever it was, it would do all that stuff for you all in there, and it would bake it. So like I would just put everything in it in the morning, and then I would set it, and I would go to work. And by the time I came home from work, I had. Uh, a warm loaf of bread and it would keep it warm for me as well. So yeah, it was <sighs> now I kind of want a bread maker. Anyway, this is my fault. About... This is the tangent yeah. I put us on. We should I'm not saying, have but... talked. You know, we shouldn't have talked about food. And uh, oh, and don't, <laughs> you know, gotta say a, a banana nut bread. 
I'm not even a big fan of nuts, but banana nut bread. I My love mom it. makes a great banana bread. I'll Absolutely love it. Yeah. And you know, and banana bread is fine, but there is something about a banana nut bread and it, with walnuts in particular. I love it. I love it every time. And I have a food consistency issue. I like all of my food to be the same consistency, but that is my one exception. Banana nut bread. I will eat that. Yeah. So I'm I mean, just yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Banana bread. Yep. <sighs> Alright. Well, now that we've talked about um food and, and thoroughly upset ourselves, uh <laughs> let's return to this episode. I want to give yet another shout out to um Rosalind Chow, I really feel like she does such a great job here playing this evil Keiko, mm-hmm. you know that we're that we're getting, mm-hmm. and uh, you know especially considering like we we know the the background right, like um, watching her in those scenes where like they're doing the birthday party, and she's so warm and loving and sweet and she's just this great wife who made this great meal for her husband and she's got his favorite drink she's got his favorite cake she's got this great meal that everyone is just in awe that she made and it tastes so good and all of this stuff and we know that it's not her right you know i mean it is her but it's not her you know so it's just like gosh I I love that whole scene. And then, you know, the way that she's making fun of Miles, you know, like uh, when she makes him sleep with her in the bed. And then after she throws herself off of the balcony and they're in the infirmary and she makes him kiss her uh, in front of Julian, you know, just all of it. I loved it. I loved the delivery of all of it. I was like, man. Yeah. You know, she does a great job. Yeah. Rosalind Child kills it. I, she's the standout this episode. But Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Even though O'Brien is technically our lead. Um, and I, I like the fact that Rosalind Chow gets a chance to really stand out because she has been to a bit you know, regulated to O'Brien's wife. She's there for their relationship. Even her her herbology or what, what is it? Um, she's a botanist. There we go. Her, her botany is, is, is a characteristic of her, but we don't always really see her do it that much. She was a teacher on the station during season one, but that fell away. Blew up, literally. Literally, blew up here. yeah. In season one finale. I don't. I don't think we ever really got a full explanation for why. I mean, we I guess we did. Of like, you know, the Bajorans never wanted to bring it back because of their kind of xenophobia that they had growing. But it's not like that's true anymore. But anyway, um, you know, Jake graduated, yeah. and so it was like it's not longer something we have to worry. Yeah, about. I mean that. That's pretty much what happened. Was Jake aged out, and there became no. You know, there was no need for a follow-up there. Jake right. aged out, so yeah. Right, right. Um, yeah, so she definitely kills it. I love the whole fight. I feel for O'Brien and Bashir at the end of the episode where they kill her plants, because I have killed my roommate's plants. Like, plants that he had kept since college. Like, over ten years. I didn't water them properly, and they died, and I felt terrible. <laughs> Because I don't care about plants at all. I don't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've always thought of myself like I like the idea of plants. Yeah. But I also like I want plants that have a use. Right. So I'm all for growing things that I can use. Like um, I always wanted to have like pepper plants. I I really enjoy. I I really enjoy a lot of like uh, the hotter pepper, spicier peppers, things like that. And uh, one of the probably the the best that I think you can get 
or like those little uh, cherry peppers, you know? Okay, yeah. And uh, apparently they're really easy to grow. And I've always wanted to just have several growing in my backyard or whatever. Never done it. Right. Um, but I would like to. Um, I had a friend in um, high school whose uh, mother grew strawberries and blueberries. And um, I remember her telling her story of how she got her blueberry patch started. It was basically she just took a bunch of old blueberries that were like getting kind of rotted, moldy or whatever. And she just threw them in her backyard. And, you know, over time, it just kind of took over and, and did its own thing. And I mean, their whole backyard was like covered. Like one side was nothing but just massive blueberry patch that she had just been cultivating over a just a, a just a couple of years, like maybe two years mm-hmm. tops, because right. apparently it's a very hardy vine and it grows in pretty much every kind of weather. And you right. don't really have to do a whole lot to maintain it. You just got to, you know, as long as you live in an area that you can either that gets water regularly or you can give it water semi-regularly, it can, it, it can, it'll take off, you know? Right. And so, yeah. And then she's like, yeah, anytime you want blueberries, you can just go back there and, and get you some. And it was right. just, the easiest thing in the world. You know, we just, we would take a rake and just kind of knock through and get a bunch. So, um, yeah, but, uh, I, the thought of growing plants that are just pretty, I guess, you know, flowers or whatever. I don't see the point. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, that's not for me. As I was talking about not liking plants, I was like, actually, I do have one exception. When I moved into my current place where I'm at now, um, I live close to where my parents live, and my mom has had – I think they're called Christmas cactuses. It's it's It looks almost like a cactus in that the leaves are a little bit pointy, but they, like, mm-hmm. bud off of each other. So they're actually more like stems almost. But every year around Christmas time is when they bloom, and they get these long purple blooms. And they, they look really nice, and so I thought about getting one for myself, but my mom convinced me that – they're more hassle than they're worth or something. I, I forget what exactly it was for reason for why you probably don't want one. Um, but I did briefly consider it. And then I was like, yeah, it's probably true. I probably wouldn't take care of it properly. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember when I was in, you know, in high school and we would do all these little experiments and stuff like that. And they would give us like seeds to try to grow things and, I would always be like, oh, this is, you know, this would be cool to have and do. And, you know, tomatoes were a very popular plant to, you know, uh, have and cultivate and everything else. But I never did it. And I always thought that, you know, well, that'd be cool if like one day I would, you know, have a garden. And there was a place that I worked in Kentucky that um, uh, they cleared out a whole area of our back lot and turned it into a little uh, vegetable garden just for the workers and people would like come after work and they would, you know, spend a couple of hours back there planting and tilling soil and raising their crops and sharing stuff and whatever else. And I used to think that it was so bizarre because I was, but I I was like, I would never do this. Once I'm off work, I'm leaving, I'm going home. There's no way I'm coming back. But at the same time, you know, I was like, maybe 20 years old and everybody who participated in the garden was much older than me. And, um, I just always took it as, Oh, that's a older people thing to want to want to garden and spend time doing something like that and whatever else. And now as I'm getting older, I'm like, you know what? I kind of want to have a, I want to have a garden. I want (laughs) to, I want to, I want to grow stuff. Yeah. Be nice. You know? So, 
Well, um, final thoughts on this episode. Anything that you feel like um, you you missed or you didn't realize or want to hear more about or anything like that? I mean, the only thing I guess we haven't talked about is just briefly that the episode, the the Rom storyline is just real quickly. Rom starts off by going to his brother's bar asking for bacon and eggs because that's what humans eat, and he's on the. That's the chief special. Yeah, because he's on the third shift, and, and that's uh, the chief special. And of course, Court gives him a hard time. Says you're on the the night shift. You work in like the waste disposal waste extraction. Unit. And so you're not being, you know, used properly. And his brother's like, well, someone has to do it. And he's like, yeah, but why does it have to be you? Does Chief O'Brien even respect or even care for you? Like, I'm your brother. You know, I want what's best for you. You know, okay, Quark. All right. But um, but Rom is like, you know, I'm willing to do the work. And then when he gets sent to the mid-shift, the day shift, so he's super excited, as you were just pointing out, Ractogenos. Do we do Ractogenos? Yeah. Anyway. Hilarious scene, even if it annoys the crap out of you. Uh, but apparently, bacon and eggs don't work for him, which is why at the end of the episode, he asks for pancakes, because that's what the day shift eats. Um, which I think, I imagine that will also not be, his stomach will also not care for Considering that. Ferengi eat bugs and slugs, I yeah. can't imagine making the switch from that to pancakes is yeah. going to go well. Yeah. So I, I like I just like the storyline because Rom is is that character who he's the underdog, especially against his brother. He has to he he earns his stripes in this episode with O'Brien. I, I I do like that his character is thriving under, I guess what we would consider the the human standard of society. Yeah, he's got a good job, and as long as he does his job, he does his work and does it well, he's right. getting recognition, which leads to promotions, which leads to greater notoriety. Yes. Versus in the Ferengi system, where you have to scheme and you've got manipulate, all this yeah. manipulate people, and it's all about money and right. sleazy a little bit, you know. Like even Quark says, you could be here looking at half naked Dabo girls instead of standing waist deep in waste you know which i could see the appeal considering you're standing in waste from countless species i couldn't imagine yeah you chose that over you chose that over scantily clad dabo girls i mean i i i I think about rom and i'm like he had plenty of experience under his brother to know what it was like (laughs) When he rejected yeah. that lifestyle. What's the, yeah, what's that say about you, Quark, that your brother chose to stand in the waist from countless species? Countless species that you know, and then the ones you don't that are just passing yeah. through. Yeah. You know, who knows what they've got? And yeah. then he's he chose that over yeah. working for you. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, and he gives, and as you recall from the episode, the, the union episode where he finally stepped down, you know, he talks about it. He's like, you know, the only thing I had to hope for was that you, you know, would die Died. someday, yeah. and then I would get the bar, you yeah. know. And now he's he's on the uh, the day shift, and he's getting choice assignments, and people know who he is, and some girls hitting on him, and yeah. he's, you know, he's he's coming up in his yeah. own way. He's a he's becoming a respected person on the station right. uh, slowly but surely his yeah. son is doing well as well both and interesting again both of these Ferengi had to leave their society in right. order to find you know 
meaning and happiness for their lives because they weren't they weren't successful for Rangi. It wasn't like they were be they were successful in their own culture. They right. weren't. They right. were exploited. They right. were both yes. exploited, 100%. and now they're in a in a society that values them for what they can actually contribute, and right. doesn't belittle them or push them right. to the side or right. subjugate them in any way. And now look at him. One's yeah. an engineer. The other one is uh, uh, a future Starfleet captain in the making. Right. So, yeah. and I, I I really like the idea that, as you just pointed out, that Rom and Nog are succeeding outside the outside of Frankie culture. That yeah. again, I've said it multiple times. Oversimplifying, you know, the the the, the desert planet Dune, the ice world Hoth. Oversimplifying races down to oh, the Frankie are just greedy for money. I like the idea that no, that's a culture that the Frankie have and they've developed it. But there are people like even their there own are mother. Cracks. Yes, there. It's imperfect. It's an imperfect yes. system. That this is where Star Trek shines. We've yeah. seen that now. They've done this with the Ferengi. We've seen them do it with the Klingons as I well. Say that. This yep. is when Star Trek is at its best. It's when it shows right. these these kind of one-dimensional pillars right. who who are the base representation of their entire culture, and we're just supposed to accept it. But when we find these people who break away from that, like we've got a, a Klingon who sings opera on the station and runs a restaurant yes. you know yes. um unfortunately we have we not seen, seen more of that guy yeah, we, i was gonna say it's unfortunate we haven't seen well i believe that the actor who played that character died uh, and that's why we we never saw him again um but yeah but i mean even beyond that i mean we had Worf's son alexander who is not a chip off the old block um <laughs> You know, we see Kalar, who also wasn't, you know, much in the way of the Klingon. I mean, she did stuff. She was a Klingon ambassador, but she, you know, was more with the Federation than anything else. Um, you got these Ferengi here who, you know, and as much as Quark wants to be a true blue, you know, carbon or copy cutout of, of Ferengi culture, yeah. he's not. He's yeah. done a lot to deviate from that. We've seen that get him in trouble. You know, right. Brunt from the FCA was ready to kill him because of it. <laughs> Take you know, his what is it? The slices, the, the, the desiccated, discs, the desiccated it. remains, and yeah. uh, mount them so that he could yeah. uh, I, eliminate I his the, gene pool. I love the commitment and buildup of a culture, but I like, as you just said, it the three dimensional. I like characters that break out from it. Yes, you know, it, they they do that so well. Yeah. Um. And and this was probably the this show definitely gives it to both the Klingons and the Ferengi in equal measure here of their development. Yeah, you know, true. um, and seeing the way that they've all deviated with with Ishka, you know, Mugi, um, mm. and how women are treated. We saw that with Pell, the other uh, Ferengi female. Yes. And how when they discovered that she was a female and what happened with her and everything else. I mean, like it's, there's so many different layers that were given here of this culture and showing that it is evolving. Despite right. what we had initially been told about Ferengi, we yeah. are seeing that there's more to them than that and right. how they are thriving, how people are finding that they can thrive outside of what was deemed acceptable as Ferengi culture. And right. then here comes Brunt who kind of represents the you know the backlash of some of that. So yeah, uh I love it. I do love all of that, despite Rom annoying the hell out of me. I do I do love those things. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's one of those episodes, it's a good episode, so I don't have a lot of critiques for it, and therefore it might seem like I'm just, like, we talked about bread and, gra- uh, what, uh, pineapple for five minutes. It's not because <laughs> I didn't like the episode, it's like, I like it so much that I don't have to critique it for an hour. Yeah. It's like, it's, it was a good episode. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, as one aside, we will say, um, you know, all the characters, uh, all of our main characters appear in this episode except for one, and that would be Kira Norris, the non-visitor, who's played by the non-visitor, did not appear in this episode. She is mentioned. We know that she is touring Decor Province with Shakar, is what um, uh, O'Brien says. But the the behind-the-scenes story is that uh, she actually went into early labor uh, during this episode, during the filming of this episode, or when they were supposed to be filming this episode, I should say. So uh, that is why she is not seen. So, just so you know, a little behind-the-scenes factoid for you. She was off delivering her real baby. I forgotten that she wasn't there, but yeah, that she was just mentioned. And I love how, just a few episodes ago, they were kind of upset of the idea of Keiko going off to, like, not be there but like she's pregnant with their baby and but now they've gotten over it to the point where she's gone for a whole episode oh well touring with the with shakar uh and they're just they've moved on well you know now that her and o'brien almost almost you know now it's okay that she's doing whatever it is she's doing you know yeah so well, I imagine we'll have a, uh, I guess next episode that'll be part of the plot. You don't, you don't have to say anything. Um, uh, not the next episode, but we're coming close. So gotcha. we will, we will get some things uh, rolling along in the uh, the baby story as gotcha. well, um, with some other things. So I'm actually looking forward to a lot of these episodes because these next ones coming up, man, they are great. I took a look ahead, you know, and there's just again just some great episodes that are next. Um, for us so um, looking forward to that now um, really quick I just want to do some quick updates we do know that the SAG after strike has officially ended it is over Um, shows are they're in their final whatever of I guess planning to get things back up and running and, and, and people going back to work and so forth but it is officially over so um don't know what that means, like for how soon some things are going to be back, um, but you can just kind of expect that it's going to take a bit um, oh, yeah. so for them to like get up and running six again. Months, right? Yeah. So, um, like, it's right around right around now would have been the time that a lot of shows should have been airing their seasons, and a lot of the stuff wasn't even filmed. So, don't even expect them to be like able to put something out right away and whatever else. It's not. Um, there is a campaign going on right now that you can take part on on pretty much every social media platform, but in particular X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it, and it is for Star Trek Legacy. This is the show that was pitched after the end of Star Trek Picard, which would have featured an all-new uh, crew for the newest Enterprise, the Enterprise G, which was shown at the end of Star Trek Picard. So if you are interested at all, um, go and take a look at some of the stuff they're promoting um, for that, namely that the captain would be Seven of Nine. So if you are interested at all, go take a look. They've got some great graphics for a lot of the stuff that's out. I watched a bunch of them today. They're really short clips, five seconds, 10 seconds, whatever it is, but they look 
it looks really nice. So if you're interested at all, go take a look, um, sign the petitions. I know I've already signed um, all that <laughs> stuff just to get it out there, just in the hopes it's, that it's a tradition in Star yes, Trek. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, petitions for shows are a tradition in Trek. Um, so yes, if you are in any way wanting Trek to continue and them to do a show that's based in the 25th century, no more rehashing of the 22nd, 23rd, or 24th, any of that. Truly moving forward into Trek and not skipping ahead like Des- or, uh, Discovery did to the 32nd, but right. just the next generation of stories, really. Right. Um, go take a look at the stuff they're doing for Legacy and uh, sign that petition. Um, Prodigy has been officially um released to Netflix and not only can you now watch it on Netflix but the third season of Prodigy should be arriving on to Netflix here soon like in the next couple of months so cuz right. now that one was a show that was already done they just couldn't release it so we should be getting that one relatively soon um Discovery has already been pushed back to again mid 2024 even with the ending of the SAG after strike I don't see that changing at any point so we're just going to have to wait on that same thing with Strange New Worlds. Um, the only difference is the final season of Discovery is done. It, it was just that they had to do some reshoots for a couple of things that got delayed by the strike. So that that's why it was pushed. But um, as far as I know, they have not started filming any of the newest season of uh, Strange New Worlds. So um, that's that on the Trek front. If you are a person who was interested in... Um, sci-fi shows at all and you're looking for something to kind of fill the void while you're looking for things i recommend a show on max formerly hbo max it's called scavengers rain um it is a sci-fi show it's an animated show it's a sci-fi show um and it's not like star trek so don't think that just because i'm recommending it it is real it's it's very interesting but it also has some highly dark elements to it i just finished watching the uh, first season and i thought it was great um go check that out if you're interested at all only thing i'll tell you is a little snippet teaser or whatever i watched an episode where this guy was searching for a little recording device and right when he found it the ground erupted underneath him into a bunch of vines that wrapped all the way around his body and then twisted him in like six different directions and of course he died but it was it was fantastic. It was horrific, but terrible, terrible, and and awesome all in the same go. You've never so, seen a die a guy die I, like this before. I I never have. <laughs> I never have. And I mean, animation aside, it was shocking. It was sudden. And even with me telling you, I'm telling you right now, when you go to watch it, you're not going to know that's the scene that you're watching until it happens because it's very quick. So. Uh, yeah. Okay. Go check it out. Brutal deaths check. <laughs> yes. Basically, the premise of the show is they land on this alien planet and they're waiting for rescue. But while they while they're on the planet, literally everything on the planet is trying to eat them in some way. So you watch everybody try to avoid being consumed by something. Right. So there. Gotcha. Uh, lovely. <laughs> yes. Anything for you besides all the books that you're reading? That's it. I'm looking forward to it. Ah, oh, man. Right. I love reading. I love good books. I do too, but to... you're putting me to shame. That is for sure. You are oh, definitely please. putting me to shame. I got I'm way gonna have more to... time at work. And even then, like I said, I don't have as much time as I want. 
Um, but Count of Monte Cristo, man, I, I was sad to push it back because I pushed it back and then there's the Nemesis Games book. And so I'm like, ah, Count of Monte Cristo, man, because it's I don't been know on my I'll... shelf. I've had this on my shelf for years, man. I've been meaning to read it. Mm. And I, keep, I have something else to read. I have something else to read. Well, I don't think I'm going to pick up War and Peace, but <laughs> when you get to the Count, I may break out my copy and yeah. read it as well because it's such a such a great story. It's it's. I think it may be my. I mean, I love the Three Musketeers. Don't get me wrong, but the Count of Monte Cristo is probably my favorite yeah. story. Yeah. So yeah. I, like I said, I'm excited to get back to it. Yeah. Well, uh, so next week is Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving to you and to everybody listening. Uh, probably be about. Thanksgiving when this episode comes out or so. Yeah, it'll be. Yeah, so. I'll actually probably release this early because I don't want to be doing anything on Thanksgiving. <laughs> and then we have right. Black Friday afterwards and so forth. But uh, yeah, so yeah. But uh, so happy Thanksgiving to everyone. And um, as always, you can find us and follow us anywhere that you happen to do your social medias. And of course, you can listen to us anywhere you happen to listen to podcasts. I do it on Spotify. You can check out our YouTube channel, which is just the Fire Caves. Do that search. You'll find our sweet, beautiful faces and voices. And you can watch all of our videos for every episode that we've recorded since, I think, season three was when we started our youtube channel and have moved on so if you want to go back and re-watch or re-listen or whatever that is feel free to do so and again drop us a comment anytime that you want and we'll maybe get back to you if you're good but until next week guys take care of yourselves thanks guys